Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about Thanksgiving and praise because it's, it's Thanksgiving week coming up. The late Dr. William Stidger tells of writing to his boyhood school teacher to thank her for giving him a love of poetry. Weeks later, the lovely teacher wrote him back and said this, I want to let you know how much your letter meant to me. I'm an old lady now, in my 80s, living alone in a small home. I taught for 50 years, yet in all that time, your letter is the first note of appreciation I have ever received. And so, in keeping with poetry, let me share the brief prayer of the English poet George Herbert. He said, Thou hast given so much to me, give me one more thing, a grateful heart. Thou hast given so much to me, give me one more thing, a grateful heart. It's my prayer, and I hope it's yours, that this week and always that we would have that grateful heart. But I want to talk to you this morning about thanksgiving and praise, and you're going to perhaps be surprised that the scriptures talk more about praise than they do thanksgiving. In our English language, uh, you know, we, we talk about thanksgiving, and we have a holiday, and it's very blessed. The scriptures talk about praise, and I want to talk about that today. So the scriptures do indeed talk about uh, thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says this. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. A wonderful verse. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But the Bible also speaks about praise. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, there's a connection in the idea of praise, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more for you, but acknowledging him. Uh, praise is a confession. Praise is an acknowledging Praise is stating what the truth is and laying it out there. And it, there's a thanksgiving element to it, but the first element is simply stating what's true. Praise is a confession and acknowledgement of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the glory of God. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where Paul says, For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I think we actually have kind of a small idea. And I want to give you, if I can this morning, a big idea of how glorious God is. Because all of our praise, all of our thanksgiving, it's all rooted in the fact that he's an amazing God. He's the God who thought of marriage. He's the God who thought of DNA. He's the God who thought of the solar system and the galaxies and the, uh, the little quantum particles of the universe who filled up the oceans and created the land and made your dog and your cat as well. I mean, everything in this world is amazing and vibrant, and yet it's tainted with sin, but the scriptures talk about the wonderful goodness and greatness and glory of God. So... You might have heard this before, but there's a question posed to us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So this is uh, European Reformed theologians 
who asked this question, and it's a beautiful question. The question is, it's the first question, by the way, of this catechism. Catechism is a teaching book, and it says, what is the chief and highest end of man? Does, and this means man and woman. You know, what is humanity's highest purpose and chief end? Has anyone heard this question before? The answer is this, and when I bring up the answer, you, you might have come across it. It is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the answer. This is a theological answer. In other words, you take all the Bible and you squeeze it down into words about God, and this was their guess, and I think that they're right. That our chief end is indeed to glorify God, which means uh, to worship Him, to ascribe worth to Him, to understand the weightiness of Him, and to enjoy Him forever. And this is where Thanksgiving comes from. Thanksgiving isn't just, you know, the, the appreciation and the gratefulness. It's so much more because God is absolutely amazing and wonderful. My wife and I have been watching this show on Netflix called The Crown, and it's about Queen Elizabeth, the, the, the reigning monarch of England in her younger years during the Second World War, and right now we're in the episodes uh, of the 60s, where Prince Charles is, they have a word for it, I, I don't remember, but basically he's made like official Prince of Wales. And the royal family is not from Wales. It's like its own country within England, if, if you know much about all that. And they have their own language. I didn't even know this, but I was learning just watching The Crown. And the, the first Prince of Wales, way back centuries ago, was actually Welsh, I think. But the royal family, it was just a title. But he actually, Prince Charles in the 60s when he was in college, he went to study for a term in Wales so that he could learn the Welsh language and so that when they did the ceremony of making him official Prince of Wales, so that he gave a speech in Welsh. And it was pretty cool. But it was funny because as he was going through the streets, you know, the show is, is historically accurate, I think, for the most part. I'm sure they're making up some things. But the Prince of Wales, the young Prince Charles, they didn't even know about him yet, right? Uh, but they were, some of them were booing him. And I was thinking, they, they didn't even meet Camilla yet. I mean, come on. Like, you know, <laughs> they didn't even have a reason yet. But uh, they, they're booing him because it's, it's like kind of like they, it's just like, yeah, he's not from here and whatever. So some of them are booing him. And I was thinking how, I think it was called his investiture. And that there will be a day when Jesus, he already is reigning and we're already part of his kingdom, but there will be a day on earth when it's not the Prince of Wales, but it's the Prince of Peace. will receive his own investiture, will receive his own inauguration among men and women. And all the, the Bible talks about how all the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That day has not happened yet because we still have human prime ministers, queens, presidents, tyrants, generals, senators, judges, and so forth on the earth. The day has not yet come when Jesus has taken the full sovereignty of this earth's government and set up his own actual 
administration of saints to run the affairs of the earth. And sometimes as Christians, like when I first became a, uh, a new believer, it's like if I would have heard somebody talking like this, I would have been like, what? Like there's going to be a real government on the earth that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ reigning from Jerusalem with Israel as the first nation, but the first among many that are blessed where the glory of the Lord fills the earth because the spirit of holiness will fill us and we will be, 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you know that you're going to be judging angels? And that word for judging means administrating angels. And I don't know what all that means. Some people think it means the fact that we pronounce a judgment upon the rebellious angels who rebelled against God. And other people say that this kingdom is going to be so wonderful and so glorious that our position is indeed, from the Psalms, just a little lower than the Elohim. We are just a little lower than God. And what you have is angels doing not only, you know, the Lord's bidding, but serving us. They're already ministering spirits. They're helping us out, even right now, as our, our guardian angels and other angels. Uh, so it's beautiful. I, I went off on a bit of a tangent, but the point is this, is that there will be no booing when Jesus comes in that royal procession. Do you know what I'm saying? Because he's the very one, and it's going to be the redeemed who... I mean, I don't know what our response is. If the Lord will let me blow the shofar for him and kiss his feet and his hands and say, thank you, King Jesus, because you are the one who took personal interest in me. This is a king like any other king or queen or judge or president or administrator. Do you know what I'm saying? There's, it's going to be a king who has a personal relation to every one of his subjects. And it's a different kind of kingdom, okay? It's a kingdom, uh, in Romans, Paul says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, it's not about just the things that we consume, whether it's you know, living in a home, driving a car, uh, purchasing a game, uh, having money in the bank account as well as eating a great filet mignon dinner and drinking the finest, you know, uh, wine that the earth could make from the beautiful vineyards of, of the, you know, down south from here and all these, these things that we get interested in in this life. It's not meat and drink. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, the New Testament says, which tells us that um, I, I quoted this the other day, or the other uh, a sermon a while ago, but I didn't give you the location, but it's in Psalm 4, and I think it's David who says this, talking about the joy that the Lord gives us. Psalm 4, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And my point was that we could have an incredible revenue coming into our life of billions of dollars a year, and yet billions of dollars a year do not purchase righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, you, my friend, you, saint, can have more joy in your heart. Psalm 4, verse 7. You can have more joy in your heart than they have, and you know who they is, right? 
they than they have when their grain and their wine abound and their stocks and their bonds and their position and their education and their circumstances and their good looks and their, you know, it goes on and on and on. But you can have more joy in your heart. I think that's good news. I think that's part of God's purpose to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There's a law in the scriptures called the law of first mention. The first time, because I was looking up, where's the first time that Thanksgiving pops up in the Bible? And as I was studying it, the, it was in Leviticus, okay? But there's another word for praise. And the first time that praise shows up in the Bible is when uh, w- one of Jacob's wives, which I'm not, we'll have to look at it, I'm not sure which one, is the mother of Judah, okay? And sh- Leah, okay. Very good. Leah says this. She says, uh, she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And the word for praise is, and I I want you to repeat it after me, but I'll say it first. It's yada. Yada. It's like yoda, but with an A. Instead of yoda, it's yada. And yada is the name for her son. It comes out as uh, Judah or Judah or Jewish, you know, the Jewish people. And it means praise. So the very term Jew means one who praises, the praise of the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and she ceased bearing. So she, she didn't have kids after that, apparently. Um. The technical dictionary for this says this about yada. Uh, The primary meaning of this word is to acknowledge, to confess sin. God's character and works or man's character. So it's basically the fact that we confess different things. When you confess, I'm a sinner, you're yada-ing it. When you confess that God's righteous, you're yada-ing it. Uh, It goes on and it says that... uh, It's used in different ways, but the best rendering of the term is confession. For the person confesses or declares God's attributes and works, and uh, the the Psalms abundantly say it, and they use the word praise. So in other words, when you confess who you are, you'd be confessing that I'm not God. But when you confess who God is, you confess that He's wonderful, and He's glorious, and He's absolutely amazing. People ask what the greatest work of art in the English language is. And there's generally two, two guesses, okay, or two uh, things that people say. The first thing that people say when asked, what's the greatest work of art in the English language? They'll say the King James Bible. Uh, it was translated in beautiful prose when it's narrative, and it was translated into beautiful poetry when it was poetry but the other contender is uh george frederick handel's uh what do you call it composure you know uh messiah and when he wrote this uh let me read you the following story he did it in a small london house on brook street and he had a servant 
And the servant sighed with resignation as he, he arranged a tray full of food that he assumed will not be eaten. For more than a week, this servant has faithfully continued to wait on his employer, an eccentric composer who spends hour after hour isolated in his own room. Morning, noon, and evening, the servant delivers appealing meals to this composer and returns later to find the bowls and the platters largely untouched. Once again on this day, the servant steals himself to go through the same routine, muttering under his breath about how odd musicians are. As he swings open the door to the composer's room, the servant stops in his tracks, and the startled composer has tears running down his face, and he turns to his servant and he cries this out. He says, I did think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. Frederick Handel had just finished writing the Hallelujah Chorus. And this Hallelujah Chorus is really the uh, climax of the whole piece of art and even until last night when I've heard Handel's Messiah, I didn't know what the words were actually saying in the Hallelujah Chorus other than the words Hallelujah. And so I've copied them off the internet and printed them out. And I want you to, if you want to, you can just watch it. But we're going to watch what I found was the best quality sound on the internet. And if I could have a couple people help me hand these out, we'll prepare the video, take down the lights, or maybe we should leave the lights on so you could read, but um, thank you. These are the words to Handel's M Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, and my point is this, is that we are made to praise God, and it isn't just about thanking him for the year going well in one little way. It's thanking him and confessing all of his goodness, all of his greatness, all of the glory of God that we might not have even spent the time to comprehend and understand. So as these are being handed out, we'll go ahead and, and prepare this and listen to it. And you might want to read the words as you listen to this wonderful piece of music. It's about four and a half minutes. And we'll go ahead and when we have them handed out, we'll, we'll watch this. Thanks, Leon. Ah. Uh. 
and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings forever and ever, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. The very word itself, hallelujah, means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful word to say. And large parts of Messiah were simply him putting scripture to composed music. He had 260 pages of manuscript, which he produced in 24 days, and for three weeks didn't leave his house. It was an amazing work, which takes more than an hour to perform, and it's a full, uh, I don't know if that's, is that an orchestra mic that that is, and Sandy? Um, but it's, uh, it's not just, you know, it's, it's many pieces of music all together. When Hayden later heard the Hallelujah Chorus, he wept like a child and said, speaking of, of uh, Handel, he said, he is the master of us all, meaning that he's the, you know, a master composer. The, uh, it was 1942 when this was first performed, so that's 270 years ago. And on the second performance, the King of England was in attendance. And with the opening notes, because this is in the beginning and this is not the end of the whole Messiah production, it's somewhere, you know, thereabouts in the middle. And when he heard the opening notes to this hallelujah chorus, the King of England stood to his feet. And royal protocol is that if the king stands, you stand. And so for 270 years, even though the king isn't present at every performance, at every performance of Handel's Messiah now, it has been the tradition for everyone to stand during the Hallelujah Chorus. There's a day coming when we will see Christ face to face, when we will see him not only in his flesh, but in all of his glory. And it's going to be a wonderful, awesome, majestic day. And, you know, the disciples experienced Jesus as, uh, as, you know, feeding them breakfast and washing their feet. But he's, he's a friend, but he's also king. And we're going to see him in great, you know, parades, great processions of uh, humans as well as angels adoring him. And I think throughout eternity we will also have opportunities uh, here and there to meet Jesus one-on-one and face-to-face. And I don't know how it's all going to work, and I don't know, you know exactly what it is, but he wears humanity. He is fully human, and he's right there at the right hand of the Father, representing us to the Father right now. Our covenant is Christ himself. And so when we praise God, when we give him glory, we are confessing all of his goodness, all of his greatness, all of his glory that we don't even fully understand. And so thanksgiving in our thoughts might be a little small if it's just about turkey and pumpkin pie. But if it's about turkey and pumpkin pie and cranberry sauce and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who made heaven and earth and who has called us to this amazingly great kingdom, this invitation to be ourselves. Your, your dog doesn't understand it. Dolphins don't understand it. He's made mankind, humanity, to take in a little bit right now, but through all of eternity. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for this kingdom to go on forever and ever and ever? And you to be in your resurrection body and your resurrection mind 
to have the full measure of what it is to be the woman in Christ that God made you to be and the man in Christ that God made you to be, to be restored, to understand, to be healed, and to, to give him the praise of his glory forever and ever and ever and to tell that redemption story to say, hey, you angels, let me tell you what he did for me back at Calvary. And we will celebrate and we will learn and we will grow and we will build and we will worship. And it's already begun.